Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. One of the very first videos I ever did on this channel that did well was about a thing called a uh, yo-yo sale. Uh, I didn't call it that in my title. The title to my video is Don't Let the Dealership Steal Your Car Back. And I knew it would do well because I'd written an article about that exact same topic for Opposite Lock, which got front-paged on the old-school Jalopnik, and it did very well there also. I don't think that article exists on the internet anymore because Opposite Lock uh, went away and then came back in a different form, and I think a lot of that old stuff got lost. But I still have the video up, and in fact, I'll put a link to that video below this and get more details about the case that I handled that was like this. But we're talking about yo-yo sales, and if you don't know what that is, hang on. A bunch of people sent me this from NPR. Even after you think you bought a car, dealerships can yo-yo you and take it back. It depends on what state you're in. It's much more common in certain states, and it's actually legal in some states. So here you go. Uh, you know the feeling when you bought a car and signed all the paperwork and you think to yourself, I just got a brand new car or a used car, but it's, it's new to me, right? It's new to me. Well, Courtney Johnson said, I felt that I'd made a good decision as a mother. I was excited. She had just had a baby when she and her husband decided to buy a newer, safer car for the family. They live outside Orlando. Now, he inspects fire sprinklers for a living, but she stopped to raise the kids, and they bought a little used Hyundai SUV. Uh, it had the backup camera, she said, and passengers and uh, kids' airbags in the back as well. But a full three weeks, three weeks after they bought the car, took it home, they got what's called the yo-yo call. I received a phone call from the finance manager of the dealership, and the husband says the manager said that the financing had fallen through, and they had just figured this out three weeks later. And if the couple wanted to keep the vehicle, they had to come back in and sign the contract with different terms, and of course, the numbers go up, they never go down. He said, I was kind of confused. I thought this was a legally binding contract. We've had this vehicle at home. What do you mean it's not financed? So most of us would be confused also, although many attorneys who've heard of this could explain it to you and say exactly what happened. But odds are good that in the paperwork you signed when you bought your own car, there was some legal language saying the sale might not be really final. It often asserts that if the car dealer has trouble with the financing on its end after the sale, it can later cancel the deal, try to get you to agree to different terms, and take the car back if you refuse. But the question is, when does the deal become final? And many people that I've spoken to, and I know attorneys who handle these all the time, because there's a way you can do this now under the Truth in Lending Act, and uh, in some states it can be quite lucrative um, for the attorneys and for the plaintiffs if this happens to them, although it's a pain to go through, but that's the thing. And so many people leave the dealership believing they own the car. The dealerships will say, when asked, and I've spoken to the guys who told me this, they say, well, Steve, sometimes, like if you come in on a Saturday and buy a car, we assume you're going to get approved, but we don't know. Well, shouldn't you wait till Monday then? Well, people want their car now. Well, in that case, sign something that says, just to let you know this is provisional, but you know we might be calling you back on Monday. Three weeks later, that's the problem. So NPR did an investigation, and they checked all around the country, and sometimes with painful consequences, they discovered it happens quite a bit. People have even been arrested. And now some states have tougher rules for car dealers. Uh, and right now the Federal Trade Commission is in the midst of drafting new rules for dealers that would take effect nationwide. And this is about time. 
Now, in the Johnson's case, the couple I talked about at the top, the New Deal raised the price of the car, paid less for their trade-in, and removed an insurance policy they had in the first deal. So the question is, why would they get paid less for the trade-in? How did that change? So the dealerships often treat this like, oh, we get to go back to square one and renegotiate everything, even though the trade-in has often already been sold. So the Johnson signed a new deal because they wanted to keep the car. But then a week later, so it'd be four weeks after the original deal, the dealership told them they'd come in and sign yet another deal. This would be deal number three. Deal number three. At that point, it all just seemed fishy, he said. The couple refused to return and sign it. So the dealer sent a tow truck and repossessed the car. Meanwhile, documents show that the dealership had already sold their trade-in vehicle and they did not give it back. So these people lost their trade-in, lost whatever down payment they made, uh, didn't get a car out of the deal, probably got hammered on their credit report. And um, this is kind of strange, you know. So we were both just kind of like mind blown at the whole entire situation, she said. Like, how is this even possible? Documents from a later arbitration case showed the dealership wouldn't return their phone calls, didn't pay off the loan on their trade-in, so the Johnsons were stuck paying off the loan with no car, and that was happening for nearly a year. They actually had to use a chunk of their retirement savings to pay the loan off, and that was on the car that the dealership took in on trade and resold. How they resold the car without paying off the loan, I don't know, but I've seen it done before. Courtney says, I just remember being embarrassed and confused. Without a car, she had to ask friends to drive her and her baby to doctor visits. And she says that she is, of course, trying to count out change and pay her friends for gas money and said that uh, she felt embarrassed by the whole thing. Now, the dealership declined an interview, but said in a statement, their goal is to always match customers with the financing they need to purchase the automobile of their choice. It's a lose-lose scenario to have any customer's financing fall through. Well, why? You took the car in on trade, sold it for a profit, didn't pay it off, which is probably illegal. And what did you lose? Oh, you lost making more money off of them on the third contract they refused to sign. Okay, okay. To get a sense of how often this happens, NPR sent a survey to consumer attorneys who work on auto cases. 40 of them responded. Together, those few dozen lawyers said they've gotten calls from nearly 900 car buyers in just the past year who says they've been victimized by these kinds of transactions. And that's the point. I've gotten these phone calls also. I don't handle these cases anymore, uh, but I used to handle them quite a bit. And like I said, I have a video where I explain about the one I did handle. And in my case, I simply sued the dealership on the theory they'd stolen my client's car. And the case went to court and we settled it uh, favorably for my client. And then later on, I discover I've got friends who handle these cases and do it in federal court under the Truth and Lending Act and a couple other laws. Uh, so the FTC is working on a rule about this. But getting back to Johnson's case, the arbitrator ruled emphatically in their favor, saying that the dealership's actions bordered on criminal conduct and were precisely the type of wanton and willful disregard for the rights of others that evinces gross negligence and warrants punitive damages. So last month, the arbitrator that they were forced to go to awarded them $225,000. Now, I'm not that familiar with the lineup of cars from Hyundai, but I don't think they've got anything that costs that much. So Courtney finally says, I was excited. I'm glad the dealership got punished. 
Couple says they're thinking they might use the money to start their own fire sprinkler installation business. Because remember, the man inspects fire sprinkler systems. So the arbitrator that the dealership had pushed them into because they were worried what would happen in court hammered them for $225,000. So I'm going to tell you something. For those of you who aren't going to watch my other video, you need to know this. When you go into a dealership in a typical transaction, you buy the car from the dealer. You're the buyer, they're the seller. If they arrange third-party financing, what happens is they have you sign a contract saying you're buying the car from us and you're going to make payments to us, although we can assign those rights to a finance company. And so even if you do it through GMAC or Ally or Ford Motor Credit or any of the big companies, the dealership's paperwork still says you're financing from us, but we'll assign the paper to Ford Motor Credit, Ally, GMAC, whatever it might be. And so that's what they call it. The paper, the loan, has been assigned to somebody else. And you agree to that, by the way, when you sign the loan application. Loan application says, I'm applying for a loan from Ford Motor Credit to finance the car I just bought from the seller. And if this loan is approved, then I won't make my payments to the dealership. I'll make my payments to the lender. Okay? So buyer, seller, lender. It's important. So once in a while, I hear this all the time. This is the excuse many dealerships have. They'll say, someone came into our lot on a Saturday. We're open Saturdays. Somebody came onto our lot on a Saturday, said, I got great credit. What can you sell me? They look around the lot. They go, that car right there. We can work a deal out. They work out a deal. Person puts some money down, trades in a vehicle, signs a bunch of paperwork. And the dealership goes, okay. And on Monday, we're going to place this and, and, and sell this paper to somebody. And on Monday, they uh, pitch it to a bunch of different lenders. And lenders go, either we won't take that loan as you wrote it, or we want a higher interest rate, or we want more money down, or we want something. And that's the dealers then say, that's what causes them to call the customer back and say, okay, the, the financing fell through. We need more money. We, we, you know, we, we, we need a better down payment. We need a, a higher interest rate, or the, or the lender won't do it. But the problem, of course, is that when the person signs all the paperwork, if you didn't notify them in that paperwork, that this is all contingent on something happening on Monday, whose fault is it that that transaction looks completed on Saturday? And the interesting thing is that in the NPR story, they interviewed a big, big dealer and asked them, how often do you guys do this? And the dealer's rep said, we don't do this. If the financing falls through, we figure out a way to make it work where we eat the problem. So in other words, if the financer says, we'll only do this another 500 bucks, the dealership pays the 500 bucks. And guess what? They made more than 500 bucks in that deal. And the dealership actually said, we make enough in the long run to where those few little hiccups we have, we eat them. Now, I've heard of dealerships that have got six cars on the lot. Somebody comes in on a Sunday, says, I want to buy that car. I want to sell you that car. They do all the paperwork, hoping it'll go through on Monday. And then I've also, I mean, I, in response to the Opposite Lock article I did, and a lot of car dealers or people claiming to be car dealers contact me and email me and, 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 and comment and say things like, but Steve, they lied. They said they had good credit. What's good credit? You know, and by the way, if you can't verify their credit to the point where you got to actually repossess the car a week later, maybe you shouldn't be selling cars on a Sunday. And so my whole thing with, with consumer law at its most basic is that consumers should have things disclosed to them that are important to the transaction. And so I've spoken to a dealer before and said, Steve, I've actually got a piece of paper that they signed saying, I understand 
that this is all contingent on this third party accepting the financing who we have not spoken to yet. And if that doesn't happen, we're going to be contacting you about noon on Monday saying bring the car back. And if that's disclosed to the buyer at the time, I don't have as much trouble with it. But in the case that I had, where the financing supposedly fell through, I looked at my client's purchase agreement and I looked at his loan agreement and it said, you're buying the vehicle from us, the dealer will assign the paper to somebody else. The assignment failed. That's what they call it. The assignment failed. Whose fault is that? I, I wasn't there. But what happens if the assignment fails? You make payments to the dealership. And I've advised more than one person, make the payments to the dealership. They got to take your money. <laughs> and it puts them in a weird situation because they start cashing those checks and they've agreed to it, obviously. And if they refuse to cash the checks, you can still say, I paid them. The fact that they're refusing to cash the checks doesn't get them out of a legally binding contract. So I hope the Federal Trade Commission fixes this. But it's a very, very strange concept. And I am convinced that there are dealers in America who do that as a business model. Not all the time. But when they get somebody in the dealership who appears to be desperate, they will do this to them. And one of the most obvious things the Federal Trade Commission ought to do, and I'm sure they're going to actually put this in the rules, is that if somebody trades in a vehicle and is later informed that your financing fell through, got to come back and sign more documents. The person should be allowed to, number one, say, you know something? I want out of that deal. And number two, I want my car back. So they should be required to hold your car until such time as the financing has been approved or once they sell your car, the deal's done. Because they can't undo that. And by the way, that's one of the things that so many people complain about in this story and elsewhere is that I traded my car in and they said, oh, well, you traded your car and your car's gone, but you got to sign this document here. And give us more money. And now that puts you over a larger barrel than the one you'd be over otherwise. Because they still had your car and said, fine, here's your car back. You're back at square one. They put you in a place where you cannot get back to square one. Want everything in their favor. And then, of course, when it backfires on them, an arbitrator hits them with an award for $225,000. So the arbitrator even said it looked like criminal conduct criminal conduct. So I hope the FTC steps in and resolves the issue with the yo-yo sales. Because even after you think you bought the car, dealerships can yo-yo you and take it back. National Public Radio did a great story on this. It's actually eight pages long. I just did a couple of highlights there. But it was sent by Lee, Curry, Dale, Iggy, Mike, Mark, Jimmy, Nick, and Kevin. Thanks, everybody. Questions or comments? Put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. A rich man is one who has no need of wealth.